Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The following podcast is going to contain spoilers for a book that came out in 1982. However, despite the 38-year gap between the time that this episode was released and that issue was released, I am very and fully well aware that there are folks out there in this great world of ours that may not have read it. Hence the warning, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of My Other Podcast. That's not the name. I said it wrong. See, I'm just, I'm recording so many episodes back to back right now that I've gone a little crazy. This isn't my other podcast. This is just another fanboy. My other podcast is the show I do just for my patrons. If you're a patron and you're spending at least a dollar a month to support me in my podcasting ways, then you're listening to my other podcast. It's just not now. I mean, maybe you're listening to it now. You could be listening to both shows at the same time. That's kind of weird, though. But I'm not going to judge. Why would I judge you? You give me money. That would be crazy. Hey, let's start again, shall we? Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Stephen, and you've probably stopped listening by now. I don't blame you. I'd shut the episode off myself, but unfortunately, I'm the one who has to create it. Hey, guess what? We're going to talk about G.I. Joe today. Issue number three of A Real American Hero, which came out in September 1982. Yes, continuing the adventures of G.I. Joe, the fictional military team of special operatives. This issue was written by Larry Hama with pencils by Herb Trempe, inks by Jack Abel, John Diagostino, colors by George Russos, and letters by Diana Albers. This particular issue is entitled The Trojan Gambit. However, before we get started, I have a couple of things to talk about real quick. I just want to let everybody know that Just Another Fanboy has finally joined Facebook. I have resisted it for lo these many years, just joining Facebook in general, not bringing the podcast aboard Facebook because I've only been doing this particular podcast for a year. But I finally caved in the account has been created, and the link is in the show notes. Just look in the show notes. It's right there. Just tap on it. Give it a little clickety-click. If you're on a phone, if you're on a device such as a phone or a tablet, tap on it. If you're on a computer, clickety-click. That's how it's going to stick. And hey, speaking of our patrons, over at the Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash or if you're paying for an exclusive membership in the Just Another Fan Club, not only are you getting my other podcast for as little as a dollar a month, 
Now you can have exclusive access to our special super secret private Facebook group in which we go in and we talk about life and comics and trees and sometimes late at night when none of us can sleep, we're talking about fish. I'm not sure why, but it's a, it's a popular subject there in the Facebook group. Not at all. Not really. I don't believe we've talked about fish yet. We probably will, however. I'm sure there's going to be a big, giant, long, huge conversation about fish. Now, I'm just learning. I'm just getting the ropes. I'm getting the hang, whatever you kids call it these days. I'm just learning and getting used to Facebook. But apparently, there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do up there. There's something called a viewing room. I guess we could get online together and watch something. I don't know what, but that might be fun. Maybe once I figure out how to do that and can carve a little time out of my incredibly busy schedule, maybe that's something we can do as patron buddies. But I just wanted to make you all aware that that's out there. So let's talk about this issue, the Trojan Gambit. It opens up in a Cobra lair. The G.I. Joe team has just taken Cobra down. They've won the day. We've come in at the end of an adventure And what's the point of reading after that? G.I. Joe's already won. What else could we be talking about in this issue? They've obviously fought Cobra. They've won. G.I. Joe is the victor. We're just, we're just coming in at the end. That sounds kind of boring, but it's not. Oh no, there's a lot in store in this issue. Buckle up. They seem to have captured a bunch of Cobra soldiers, but once again, Cobra Commander got away. Breaker's on the radio and he's giving the report to General Flagg. And at one point, General Flagg asks him if there were any serious injuries. And he says, yes, sir. Half a dozen Cobra troopers thought they had old Snake Eyes disarmed. Shoot, General. He shouldn't be allowed to carry that thing in his boot. It's got to be against the Geneva Convention. And then they just leave the rest of it up to our imagination. What Snake Eyes carrying around in his boot? So in this opening page, it's a splash page. We can see a couple of Joes dismantling what appears to be a big robot, like a big, bulky, Hulk-sized robot. And it looks like it's it might be Clutch and Zap, not Zap, Clutch and uh, Steeler doing this. The robot, St- Steeler is carrying the robot's head, and it's a pretty crazy-looking head. It's just a big bucket. It's just a big, if you take a bucket and you round the bottom, turn the bottom into a half sphere and then overturn the bucket so that the bottom becomes the top. And then you just draw a big squiggly line on it for a, for a mouth and some red googly eyes. It's that's, that's a crazy looking robot, but they're dismantling it and they take it back to the pit, which is the layer of GI Joe. That's where GI Joe, that's where they hide out. And the pit is a secret base that's built underground, which is on top of the chaplain's assistant school in Fort Wadsworth. Now, here's something that I've always been rather curious about. What the frick is a chaplain's assistant school? Is this a school in which the chaplain's assistant teaches? Is it is it the is is it his or her school? Whoever the chaplain's assistant is, is this their school? Is it a grade school? Is it a school for kids? What kind of school is this? Is it a school for chaplain's assistants? Are there so many chaplains in the army that and that need assistance? There's like thousands of chaplains and each chaplain needs four assistants. And so we got to train those assistants. So we have to have a special school just 
for people who want to assist the chaplain? Is that what this is? They never really explain. And I'm not sure why they never explain it. Maybe I'm the only one that cares, or maybe I'm the only one that's unaware of what that is, what a chaplain's assistant school is. Maybe that's just general knowledge. Maybe people are at McDonald's eating their Big Mac and they're not talking about it because they already know what it is. There's, there's no reason for them to discuss it because they already know. I would walk into a McDonald's and I'd sit down next to somebody and I'd have my McFlurry and I'd say, hey, what's up with this chaplain's assistant school? And the person next to me would just stare me down and say, what are you, some kind of moron? It's the chaplain's assistant school. Everybody knows that. That's as American as baseball, apple pie, and making sure the poor stay poor. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of really absolutely nothing at all. But what I can tell you is that the entrance to the pit is in the motor pool because any good school needs a motor pool. I'm going to I'm going to stop thinking about it. But they've loaded this robot into the back of a disguised it's a truck that's made to look like a male truck. Not a not a man, not a like a female in a male truck, a truck that delivers the mail. They brought 3 of them to this cobra base. They loaded all the wounded into one, they loaded all the prisoners into another, and then they loaded the robot into the third. The prisoners they took to prison, the wounded they took to the 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 the, the vet, the hospital, the, the 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 vet hospital, and then the truck with the robot they took straight to the pit. And there's this really awesome page. I love these pages. There's a page where so the truck drives into a garage in the motor pool and it drives on to the hydraulic lift, which would normally lift the truck up so somebody could get into the the space beneath. There's a big well beneath it. Somebody could get under there and change the oil. But instead of going up, this hydraulic lift goes down and it takes them down six levels to the bottom level. I think it's six down to the very bottom level where they keep all the computers and the servers and the the living quarters of all the Joes. And the page is just a, it's like a side cut of the pit so you can see the different levels. And as they're as they're going, well, it's only actually showing us one, two, three. I don't know. I don't think it shows us all the levels. But as they're going down, they're explaining what each level does. And I think it's it's pretty neat. There's like the the armory is up top, and then the living quarters are down below. And one of them saying, I don't understand why we have to live so deep underground. Why can't we be near the top? And they explain, well, that's for our safety. Let's say somebody drops uh, an, an atomic bomb atop the chaplain's assistant school, because why wouldn't they? In times of war, we all know that the first targets are armories, weapons manufacturing facilities, and chaplain's assistant schools. But let's say that happens. The living quarters are, are far enough below the surface through many layers of blast doors that those folks would be safe, not only from the explosion, but from the radiation. So they take the robot into this room and they dismantle it. Apparently some techno nerds are going to come in the next day. It's it's the middle of the night. I should mention that. It's it's deep deep night. But some techno nerds are coming in the morning to really give the robot a once over, but our three joes, which again, I'm I know it's clutch and breaker. I think the other one is stealer. They have to work through the night to really scan this robot. They got to give it the once over because it may still be functional. Despite the fact that it's in pieces, it may still function. It may have sensors and equipment in it that were designed even after it was blown up to uh, do things to the Joe base. 
there may be a bomb in it. It may be booby-trapped. So their job is to just give it a really good scan and make sure it's safe to turn over to the techno nerds. And so that's what they do. The next morning, Hawk and, and uh, Scarlet go up to the surface because there's some kind of soiree, some kind of army soiree that they have decided to hold within the garage of of all of the chaplain's assistant school. They said, hey, we need to have this chaplain's assistant social tea and we're going to hold it within the motor pool. Why not? I'm sure there's nowhere else within the chaplain's assistant school to gather a large group of people. So let's all put them right atop the secret Joe headquarters. Well, unbeknownst to the Joes, but beknownst to us, because we're reading the book and they, they make it quite clear to us, the robot, as per the title of the issue, is a Trojan horse. The whole idea for the Joes to take out this Cobra headquarters, capture all the, 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 the Cobra soldiers, was all a ruse. It was done on purpose. Cobra Commander knows what he's doing in these books. He's not the bumbling idiot that he is in the cartoons. This was all set up just to get this robot into the Joe headquarters. Three issues into the series, and now twice we have seen Cobra Commander's willingness to sacrifice just a crap ton of his own men just to reach his goal. Now, again, the robot is in pieces, but it's still functional despite all the scanning that our Joes have done. But it's so deep underground that even though it has a, a homing device and a communicator, it can't penetrate any of the Joe's shielding. So the idea is that the robot is supposed to put itself back together, fight its way out of the base, get outside, and then send a signal to Cobra so that they can come and attack the base. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows where the Joe's base is. And so the first thing that happens is one of the robot's hands gets up, kind of like the thing from the Adams family. Was that his name? Thing? The hand? And it crawls around and it goes to a bank of computers and it starts typing stuff in and it closes all the blast doors in the compound or at least the doors to all the various rooms. It, it leaves itself a way out. And so Clutch and Breaker and Steeler, they're in a room hanging out. They're having breakfast, and that door closes. Stalker, Snake Eyes, and Flash, they're in a room. They're in the armory. Snake Eyes is cleaning all the weapons. He likes to do it himself. He doesn't trust anybody else to do it because not only does he want to make sure his weapons are functional, but he wants to make sure that all of the Joes, any one of them that might be covering his back at any moment, is using a weapon that works. Their door slams shut. The robot hand crawls back toward the rest of the robot and it starts assembling itself. And then it gets up off the table and starts making its way out of the base. And that's pretty much the premise of the issue. The Joes have to take out this robot before it gets to the surface and lets Cobra know where the Joes base is. And there are apparently only six Joes in the base. Stalker, Snake Eyes, Flash, Steeler, Breaker, and Clutch. And again, they're in, th they're in two separate rooms. Breaker, Clutch, and Steeler get out of their room fairly quickly with the help of a little muscle. I think Steeler lifts some stuff, and gets them out, gets the door open. Whereas the other three in the armory, they, even though they're, they're surrounded by weapons, they can't just blow the door off the hinges without injuring themselves. 
And so Flash takes one of the laser rifles and he puts it at a very low setting and he aims it at the door and he sets it up on a tripod. So it's just shooting a consistent laser at the door at a low level to eventually melt through the door, which is going to take all day, I guess. In the meantime, all the air is is leaving the room because the room is sealed and they're using up all the air. And so Stalker and Snake Eyes, in order to conserve air, they take a nap. In the meantime, the other three get out of their room and they are trying to attack this creature. And they they can't find the the, the weapons room is locked up. So being in the kitchen, the mess hall, whatever you want to call it, they make their way into a bathroom and they find a jar of freaking aftershave, which is so strong that it's flammable. We know that because they dump the aftershave on the robot and set it on fire. The robot makes his escape, trekking through the Joe base on fire. It turns it turns down a hallway. The Joes, the three Joes go after it and suddenly it's gone. It's disappeared. So they're looking around and they go into the like the rec room, the big training room where there's a big swimming pool. They can't find it. And then it comes out of the swimming pool because it had dunked itself in the water to put the fire out. Well, eventually, the other three get out of their room. The robot makes its way all the way up to the top level, not the surface, but the top level. And they trick it by dumping silver paint over its head, which makes it so it can't see. It's the, 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 the video cameras or whatever it's using for visual input is blocked. So it has to rely on radar. And then they're basically in an underground garage where there's one of those pits, one of those wells I was telling you about. And for some reason, it it's just this wide open space, this big pit, this hole in the floor that drops all the way down to the through the six floors, all the way down to the bottom floor. Well, they cover it with aluminum foil and they stand over on the other side of it and the robot can't see, using its radar, it bounces off the aluminum foil, thinking the foil is part of the floor, steps on the foil, falls down the hole, falls all the way down the six floors, hits the bottom, crashes, and smashes into a hundred different pieces. And so all the Joes are like, yay, and they're high-fiving each other. And they go down there, but the thing's not down. Suddenly, tentacles sprout out of the head, and it starts climbing up a wall. And they realize this thing is trying to get back to the surface. It's going to tell Cobra where we are. And Flash is like, eh, no big deal. And he shoots it with a laser and it blows up and it falls back to the floor. But a compartment in the head opens up and 12 tiny robot spiders come out and they all just zoom off in different directions. Well, they catch one of them and they realize that each one of the spiders also has a homing transmitter on it. All that has to happen at this point is one of these 11 spiders that are left, just one of them has to get to the surface and then Cobra will be on the way. And so they hunt down all these 11 little spiders throughout the facility and they kill each one. They destroy each one. But the last one makes it to the top. Well, throughout this entire issue, the the T, the chaplain's assistant social T is happening just right above them. And there are certain things that happen down below in the pit that they're made aware of somewhat up there during the soiree. Like when the Joes are, are, are all getting up that morning after they have scanned the robot and the three of them go into the kitchen, they start making breakfast. Well, the chaplain's up there and the smell of bacon comes wafting up through the vent and he tells Hawk and Scarlet, well, I believe I smell bacon. That. That can't be right. Are we are we serving bacon at this party? And of course, Hawk says, ah, 
I'm sure that's coming in from the PX across the other side of the base. Don't worry about it. The chaplain's like, I believe you're right. And then when the robot falls through the big hole in the floor and falls six stories and crashes down at the, the lower level and explodes into a bunch of different pieces, the chaplain says, well, I think I just heard a big crash, like a big semi-truck falling off of a bridge. And Hawk says, ah, <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing. It's probably just the acoustics. So maybe, uh, you know, there was uh, something happened out on the base. They dropped some wrenches and the acoustics made it sound like that in here. I wouldn't worry about it. And the chaplain says, well, I believe you're right. And he walks away and Scarlet says, what's going on down there? Hawk says, well, we can't really worry about it now, can we? I'm sure they have it under control. Well, when that final robot spider makes its way to the surface, it comes crawling out of this ventilation grill on the floor of the motor pool in which, of course, they're having this, this tea. And the chaplain happens to look down because he sees motion. And here comes this little robot spider. And he goes, oh, my word, it's a spider. It's a bug. It's a creepy, crawly bug. And Scarlet's there and she smashes it with her foot. And she goes, don't worry, chaplain, I got it. And the pieces of the spider rain down atop the Joes down in the pit. And they're like, yay, they got it. And Cobra Commander gets the signal that the last spider has been destroyed. And he's like, ah, well, even though we were able to know that all the everything has been destroyed, we don't know where that information came from. So let's let's just go home. And the final two panels, you've got two people up in the in the motor pool in the garage standing next to that grate. And they're drinking their tea, and one of them says, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear that I heard people cheering under that grate. And the other one says, must be more of that acoustical phenomenon the colonel mentioned earlier. And the cheering, all the cheering that's going on, of course, is because the Joes are, like, happy. They're high-fiving each other. They're fist-bumping. They're bumping their chests together because they killed all the spiders. They did what they were supposed to do. They destroyed the robot. They destroyed the robot octopus tentacle head and they destroyed all the spiders. Everything is saved. And in the very last panel, Hawk and Scarlet are talking. And Hawk says, you know, Scarlet, I may have been pushing the Joes a bit too hard lately. I think I'll recommend them for a little extra leave time. And Scarlet says, good idea, Hawk. Sounds like they're going buggy down there. The end. Such silliness in our G.I. Joe books. But it was a fun issue. Again, Herb Trimpey. This is the second issue he's done, and I've enjoyed his art on both. He did issue one, and now he's done issue three. Don Perlman, I think his name, Don Perlin, he did issue number two. Wasn't a huge fan of his, but it was a fun issue, a nice little adventure, nothing too truly life-threatening, just a chance for us to really see the pit and a chance for the Joes to do their thing. Cobra, of course, is back in this issue. They were absent in issue number two. They were not the main antagonists in issue number two. So they're back. And I think they do stick around for a bit. You know, I talked about in part two, when we talked about issue number two, that unlike the cartoon, Cobra is not always the main bad guy, but they are pretty much the primary. I mean, they're there more often than anybody else. And they're there for all of the series. I mean, they are the guys that the Joes go up against, but every once in a while they will introduce some other threat, but primarily it is Cobra and usually Cobra loses because how could you keep a series going if, if Cobra keeps winning? That wouldn't make any sense. So, Hey, that was, that was GI Joe issue number three, a real American hero, September, 1982. I would have been 10 years old when that issue came out, wasn't reading comics at the time. So 
This may be my second time giving it a read. Does it hold up 38 years later? No, not at all. It was quite silly. Breaker, again, throughout the issue is chewing bubblegum. Actually, the first couple of pages, when he is giving his report to General Flagg, he's got the perpetual bubble that he's blowing the entire time until at one point, General Flagg gets on to him about it. He tells him to stop chewing all the bubblegum. And I feel like he doesn't, you don't see any him blowing any bubbles for the rest of the issue. So maybe, maybe we don't see that anymore. That's something to think about as we move forward with this series. Is Breaker chewing bubblegum? Do we see Breaker blowing bubbles? Maybe for the first two issues, somebody finally came along and said, uh, let's stop him blowing bubbles. That just seems ridiculous. It's annoying. We don't like it. Knock it off. And so Larry Hama had to write a little thing in there to make it a story point that General Flagg told him to stop chewing gum. Who knows? But hey, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this episode through Apple Podcasts, please go out and rate the show. It is a big help for me. There's something with algorithms that it does. Not sure what it does, but it, I know it It helps. It it makes the, the show more visible. I know that you have to have a certain number of ratings. It has to be rated a certain number of times before it will even be put into any kind of algorithmic thing for it to show up on lists unless somebody is searching specifically for that podcast. And I don't think I'm even close at this point. So if you could rate the show, that would be great. If you're listening to the show on YouTube, please hit that like button. Don't smash it. If you watch a lot of YouTube videos, you'll hear the hosts always say, smash that like button, smash it. And I have to wonder if that's why you see so many kids these days walking around with cracked screens on their phones because they're taking that literally. Well, they told me to smash it, so I smashed it and it cracked my screen. So don't smash it. Just give a little tippity tap, a little tippity tap or a clickety click. If you're listening to this episode through any other service that does not allow you to rate or like the episode and you still want to do something to help me out, just tell all your friends. Tell people, are you on Facebook? I am. I'm on Facebook now. Look for me, Stephen Orr. I'm out there. But if you're on Facebook and you're a member of one of these groups that these kids join on Facebook, like some kind of comic book group or a group where you discuss nerdy stuff, let them know. Let them know about the show. Just tell them, hey, fellas, hey, ladies, did you know that there's this guy named Stephen in Kansas that talks about comic books while he's sitting in his car? He's a grown man and he talks about comics sitting in his car people are walking by they're looking at him and he's just giving them the nod like what's up and but he's in there talking about comics that's kind of weird but you should listen to it because you know it's okay it's a little bit of all right that's what you should tell people just another fanboy it's a little bit of all right but until you can do that i'm just another fanboy be nice to each other stay safe wear a mask So I wanted to put a little something here at the end of the show because I'm always curious to see if anybody actually, you know, 
sticks around after the song is done. Because nine times out of 10, when I listen to a podcast, I don't. I don't stick around. And so I thought it would be fun to just stick a little something in here. For you folks that do stick around, here's a little something for you. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Abner Franks, and he is the world's oldest comic book fan. Abner, say hello. Howdy, folks. So, Abner, I understand that you are the world's oldest comic book fan. That's right. So what does that mean? How old are you? I mean, anybody can just go around saying they're the world's oldest comic book fan, but we need to verify that that information is true. So if you could just let us know how old you are, then we can... What do you mean? Well, I'm just saying, if you can... Well, that's kind of rude, don't you think? No, I understand. It's, I, I understand that it's rude, but anybody can just make that claim. I just I just want to see if, if it's true. The goal of some people, you just, you bring me onto your, you bring me onto your podcast and you're asking me questions like this. I mean... Look, Sonny Boy, I'm going to tell you right now, I am 147 years old. 147 years old. That's what I said, 147 years old. 147. What's the matter, boy? You got your ears stuffed full of dandruff and lemon wedges? 147 is what I said. It's just a little hard to believe. 147. I mean, that's, that's... It's old, I know. That's why I'm the world's oldest comic book fan. Okay, so let me just... Let's just say for a moment that that's true. Well, you should say it's true because it's true. Okay, I, uh, I'm i not arguing with you. Well, it sounds like you're arguing with me. I'm not arguing with you. Well, to me, it sounds like you're arguing. Okay, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> you don't want to talk to me anymore? No, you're being stupid. If anybody's being stupid, son, it's you. I mean, obviously, you just came up with this idea off the top of your head while you were sitting in your car, and then you thought you'd throw it down and maybe... I don't know, put together something a little cute or funny, and it's it's just spiraling out of control, son. It's spiraling out of control. You think I don't know that? You think I don't know that this is stupid and that I probably shouldn't have done it? Well, no, son. I don't know that you know that because obviously you're sitting here doing it. Can we just pretend that I never did this? Well, that's kind of hard to do, son, because you did do it. I mean, you did all of You're doing my voice right now. You did this. I mean, if you want to pretend that we didn't do it, and by we, I mean you, because it's all you. If we want to pretend that, then you probably shouldn't have recorded it, and you definitely should not have gone through the process of editing all this dumb stuff that you just recorded and stuck it at the end of your podcast. So obviously you don't want to forget it. All right, I'm, I just, I can't anymore. I need to, I need to go, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave, okay? I'm going. Well, he just left the car. Of course, since I'm him, Making a funny voice, he didn't really leave the car. You know, we didn't do a really good job of this, you know, hiding behind voices. We're just, we're just giving it all away. Probably wasn't a good idea to do this, was it? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.